Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Shana Tova to all of you. It is a privilege here today, this morning. How many of you were here last night? <laughs> well, you are troopers. You're back this morning. <laughs> a little more red eyes I, I see around here, even though I don't see red very well, but I know they're there. You know, as Carl, Rabbi Carl mentioned, there are customary Bible readings, and I thought Tim and Jaden and Carl did a wonderful job with the Torah reading and particularly uh, reading from Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 22, this, uh, what I would call a very important segment of the Bible, reading about Abraham and Isaac. And these are the traditional readings. We also read Hebrews chapter 11 at this time. I hope you'll have a chance to, to catch, catch that and maybe read into that. If you're familiar with Bereshit, Genesis chapter 22, and the story of Abraham and Isaac, you realize that that chapter points out a number of things to us. Not only does it talk about Avraham and Yitzhak, but also it directs us towards divine provision, the ram that God provided in place of Isaac. I bet you Isaac was quite happy about that ram. How many think Isaac was happy that there was a ram caught in the thicket? Now, I wonder how the ram felt about that, but that's another issue. <laughs> and, of course, this all centers, and God says, I'm going to you go to the, to the mountain. I'm going to show you, and that mountain is called Har Moriah, or Mount Moriah. Now, that mountain itself uh, is still there. How many you know usually mountains are still where the Lord planted them? And that one is still there. And if you've been to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, you have been probably on Har Moriah, on Mount Moriah. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? Let's see. All right, quite a few of us. Very good. So you'll, you'll know, you'll have a picture, at least from a modern perspective, of what Mount Moriah looked like. And the other thing about this portion, and this is the, the thing that um, Hebrews chapter 11 taps into, it taps into Avraham's resurrection faith. For example, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says, By faith, Avraham, when he was tested, offered up Yitzhak, Isaac. Let that sink in for a moment, because Yitzhak was the Ben Hayachid, his, his unique son, and yet Avraham was willing to offer him up in obedience to the Lord, but also it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, a couple of verses later, Abraham did this concluding that God was able to raise him, to raise Isaac up even from the dead. Way back then, Isaac and particularly Abraham, there was this concept that we call now the concept of the resurrection of the dead. 
And Abraham had this sense that God would even raise his son, Yitzhak Isaac, from the dead. And Abraham believed in God's power to resurrect. He believed in God's power to resurrect the dead. He believed that God was all-powerful, that even death was not greater than God, that God is greater than all things. And how many of you here today believe that God is all-powerful? He is sovereign. He's the great almighty God. Yes, he is. Now, Abraham believed in God's resurrection power well before Rambam. Some of you know who Rambam is, (laughs) Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. And Rambam came up with what he called the uh, 13 Ikarim, the 13 points of Jewish faith. And the very last one, the 13th article of faith, according to Rambam, who, by the way, during his time, he was considered a heretic. But his 13th article of faith, the 13th one was, I believe with perfect faith in the resurrection of the dead. (laughs) Now, that idea of resurrection from the dead, think about that a little bit. That's an incredible idea, that idea. And, but nothing's too difficult for God. And Abraham seemed, to, Abraham seemed to understand that God had resurrection power. And Abraham had resurrection faith. Now, this idea of the resurrection of the dead is a mystery somewhat. Think about it. It's a mystery somewhat. But it's less so when we consider what Yeshua said really focalizes in John chapter 11, beginning with verse 25, where Yeshua said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. By the way, that covers the whole thing. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, Yeshua said, shall never die. And then there's this question, I think, that's been reverberating throughout the generations, throughout the decades, throughout the centuries. He says to Martha, he says, do you believe this? And I would ask you that question today. Do you believe this? That same question confronts us here today. And even more so, Yeshua is the resurrection and the life He's also the bread of life. He's the good shepherd and all the things that we could list as who he is. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Do you believe in him today? Have you placed your faith in Yeshua the Messiah today? That's an important question. And if you answer that question and can easily answer that question, you know, immediately like, yes, I believe in Yeshua as Lord, as Messiah and Lord and King then listen again to this pronouncement because this is a word of encouragement to us. Whether we're young or old, a word of encouragement to us from Yohanan, John chapter 11, from the words of Yeshua in verse 25, Yeshua said, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. How faithful is God How kind is he to us? Last night I was reflecting upon the year that's passed and some of the things, there are some mountaintop experiences, some valleys as as, is commonly stated. But how faithful is God to be with us through all of those? And I think if you look back in your life over this past year, if you look back, you will see that God has been faithful to you. And you know, 
how do I say this? Well, let me tell you what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says. It says this, if we are faithless, <laughs> he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. He can't deny his own nature. He is faithful. God is faithful. And he's also faithful concerning his provisions for us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and many of you have this verse memorized, he promises his faithful provision. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Messiah Yeshua. And by the way, if you feel you have a specific call of God on your life, and please hear me if this applies to you, I believe we are all called to serve the Lord, to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, and to give our best to the Lord, our first to the Lord. But if you feel something a little beyond that, you feel this sense of calling on your life, listen please to this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. He who calls you is what? Faithful, who also will do it. Now, I remember years ago, I was in a meeting in northern New Jersey. I was a brand new believer. It was all kind of new to me. I hadn't been raised in the church at all. I was a brand new believer, learning these things. And the people that spoke that day, and I can tell you the exact day it was. Now, I'm going to really date myself when I tell you this. <laughs> it was the very day, the very evening that President Richard Nixon resigned. The speakers that night had to tell the whole crowd. There was a big crowd there in northern New Jersey, this meeting. They had to tell the whole crowd. In the middle of the message, somebody walked out to, and did one of these. And, of course, when someone, the speaker's speaking, and then someone walks out and starts whispering in their ear, all kinds of things go through your mind, which I was one of those people there, and I was less than a year in the Lord at that time. And there was this whisper went on. It was the wife speaking to her husband. She walked out during his speak and pss, 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 whispered. And then he totally changed his message and he said, President Richard Nixon has resigned. And there was this, whew, went over the crowd. Well, that was memorable enough, but something else happened that night. And this I remember very well. At the end of this speaker's message, he asked everyone who felt like they had a call of God on their life to come forward. And frankly, this was totally new for me. But I did go forward. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into, honestly. And I went forward, and I just sensed God's hand was on my life. How many of you have sensed that in your own life? God's hand's on your life. Now, this, this passage is true. He who calls you is faithful. And he will also do it. So that night, they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I didn't think anything happened. Here I am many years later, you know, fulfilling what I believe is the call of God on my life. And I pray and I ask you to please fulfill the call of God in your life within the authority structure of the community. Please be sure to do that. Because 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, and this is the third time I'm mentioning this because I believe, I really feel when I was preparing this, this is for someone, I don't know who, but he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. And by the way, Philippians 1 verse 6 also tells us 
that we can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Messiah Yeshua. That means he's not going to give up on you. Please don't give up on him. Last night I spoke about something that I could tell when I mentioned the word patience. (laughs) I could tell. I'm not new to this here. And I could tell when I said the word patient, they are having patience. I could tell it was like, ooh, conviction setting in. (laughs) But I'm confident this very thing, Philippians 1, 6 says, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Messiah Yeshua, until the day he returns. How many of you believe that? He's going to complete the good work he's begun in your life. Be faithful to him because he is faithful. Blessed be his name. Now, our customary readings at this time of Rosh Hashanah of Yom Teruah as has been mentioned already, they do point us in several directions, but particularly to Har Moriah, to Mount Moriah. That's located now, a good good section of it, is in what we would call the Era Atika, the old city of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem. And previously, some of you raised your hands and you said you have been there, and that, that makes me feel good because it's certainly worth a visit if you have a chance in your lifetime to go to Israel and you have the shekels God providing, then you really should do it because it will open up the Scripture to you. It will give you some context to some of the things you read. Well, the question might be, why is Har Moriah, why is Mount Moriah so significant? You may be surprised how often this place is mentioned in the Bible, how often it's a central point of some of the very things that Scripture speaks about. You may be surprised by that. Because the answer to the idea of how significant or why is Mount Moriah so significant is really found within Scripture. Place after place, event after event. For example, this area now is called, at least part of it is called the Temple Mount. It's in the news often. (laughs) Usually because somebody's throwing stones over the wall or throwing stones at other people, all that type stuff. But it's just a a piece of land there, a section of the old city of Jerusalem within the walls of Jerusalem that's only 37 acres large. So it's not a big piece of land. And it was there that the temple once stood, the Jewish temple, the temple in Jerusalem. It stood there. There were two temples that were there. We'll talk a moment about that. That eventually the second temple was destroyed in 70 CE under Titus. But biblically, Har Moriah, Mount Moriah, comes to prominence in this very passage that we're reading here on Yom Teruah and Rosh Hashanah. This very passage of Genesis 22 mentions specifically Har Moriah, Mount Moriah. And as we heard in our Torah reading, in, in uh, Genesis 22, verse 2, it says, God told Abraham, said, take now your son, your only son. And notice he mentions his name, Yitzhak. <laughs> There's no bargain about who this is here. Take now your son, your only son, Yitzhak. And then it says this, and I I hope you didn't just gloss over this as you've read this passage, Genesis 22. It says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. It's one thing to offer up something you don't really care about. 
It's another thing to offer something that's dear to you. And I can't express to you, and you can read the text and get it for yourself, how dear Isaac was to Abraham. He dearly loved his son. You know, Isaac is very incredible. Now take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. And then he shows them it's Har Moriah. That place that God called one of those mountains was Mount Moriah. And likely Abraham didn't fully understand what God was asking him to do. After all, God had asked Abraham to do many different things. But this particular thing, if you read read Genesis 22 verse 1, it says that God was testing Abraham. That's the whole context of this, a test. Have you ever gone through a spiritual test in your life? How many can say you've been through some spiritual testing? Don't put your hands up too quick, by the way. (laughs) Because you likely have, because these things are the way that we learn spiritual things as we go through them. Hopefully, we pass all these tests, these divine tests. But sometimes, if you're like me, you don't always come out the best way, and you have to take it several times and go through. How many have been through more than one test? (laughs) How many have been through the same thing more than once? Uh, If you wonder if what I'm speaking is biblical, well, remember the children of Israel for 40 years wandering. Although we don't know exactly their path where they went, but it had a pretty distinct circular motion to it. (laughs) And Abraham probably wondered, what's going on? Just like you or I would have. What's going on here, Lord? Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, what's, what's happening? Or you ever said this, Lord, I don't really understand what you want from me. I don't really understand what's happening in my life. I don't understand what's happening deep inside of me. And it becomes particularly a cue for Abraham because if you look at Sefer Bereshit, Genesis chapter 17, verse 19 God had told Avram before the birth of Isaac, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And she wasn't 18 years old. And neither was he. (laughs) Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yitzhak, Isaac. And then God told Abraham this before Sarah gave birth. I will establish my covenant with him. Notice these words, please. For an ever lasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Still, Abraham trusted God. And by faith and we, what we might call selfless obedience, you realize what he was asked to do and what he actually did. It's one thing to be asked something. It's another thing to actually obey and do what you've been asked. And Abraham did it. He was ready to offer up Isaac, even as he had been instructed by the Lord. He probably didn't understand it. I think it's quite likely he didn't understand it all. But as Hebrews 11 tells us, he had resurrection faith. He believed even if Isaac had to be sacrificed, guess what? God, who is the most powerful, the all-powerful one, the sovereign one, was very well able to raise up Isaac and fulfill his word where he says, with my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Well, you know the story. You know what happened, the narrative in Genesis 22. 
Abraham very meticulously gets up early and he goes to Har Moriah, to Mount Moriah. He gathers the stuff he'll need. He even brings fire, it says. He's ready to do what he's been asked to do. He prepares himself. And friends, if you feel a call of God on your life, be sure you prepare yourself. Be in the word. Be active in the community. Be in good standing in the community. Be obedient to the Lord. And Abraham did such things. He was obedient to the Lord. And he went forward with everything he was supposed to do to obey the Lord, prepared himself, even took some others with him, had his donkey, etc. The wood, he brought the wood that he would need for the sacrifice. And Abraham was able to see God's provision by the ram caught by his shofarot, <laughs> by his shofars, by his horns caught in the thicket. And hence, even to this day, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, we blow the shofar. We blow, it's interesting that one of the reasons we blow the shofar is because of the ram's horns caught in the thicket. Now, I know when we hear the shofar here in just a few minutes, we may not be thinking about ram's horns caught in the thicket. But there it is, a connection there going all the way back. And God... And Abraham, thereafter, he called Mount Moriah, gave that place a special name, as the Bible tells us. It's the place that he called the Lord will provide, and he saw miraculous provision from the Lord. By the way, have you experienced miraculous provision from the Lord? If you're a believer here today, your hand should go up immediately because the miraculous provision you have received from the Lord is the removal of your sins through the blood of Yeshua the Messiah by faith in him. The removing of your transgressions, there is, could there be anything greater than that? God said through Yeshayahu, through Isaiah the prophet, he says, your sins have made a separation between you and me. And how glad I am, and I hope you are too, how glad I am that Yeshua sacrificed his life. God's only unique begotten son sacrificed his life for you and for me. And as we place our trust in him, that imputed righteousness comes upon us like a mantle so that our sins, we know we can have confidence that his blood, Yeshua's blood avails for us. The atonement has been made. By the way, that is the topic of our Tuesday Bible study is atonement as we prepare for Yom Kippur. Now, it was also on Mount Moriah that God told Abraham, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, notice this, all nations on earth will be blessed because you, Abraham, have obeyed me. Friends, please be encouraged to obey the Lord because the, the outcome of obeying the Lord is a good outcome. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be testings, but it's a good outcome. The consequences, the results of obedience are much greater than the results of disobedience as far as their, their eternal impact because we know that if we obey the Lord, we're going to walk according to his will for our life. Now, this idea of all nations on the earth will be blessed, that God spoke to Abraham on Har Morian, Mount Moriah, goes all the way back to God's first time speaking to Abraham. Many of you know this passage. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who cursed you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I love how it says, mishpachot, families. That statement in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, refers to the seed that will come forward from Abraham. Seed singular, not plural. Seed singular. And that seed is Yeshua the Messiah. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it affirms to us that Yeshua is a descendant of not only David, King David, but also a descendant of Abraham, our topic here today. Now, nearly a thousand years after Abraham brought Isaac to Har Moriah, to Mount Moriah, when he brought him there to sacrifice him, and God miraculously provided the ram, at that very same location on Har Moriah, Mount Moriah, King Solomon built a glorious temple. And he didn't hold back anything. If you read the, the description of what the temple was like, it was incredible with its gold and its finery and its colors and its, its pomp and circumstance that happened there. He held nothing back. And King Solomon's temple lasted approximately 400 years until it was destroyed. It was destroyed by the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BCE destroyed and all the Israelites taken captive, most of them. And it was 70 years after that. And all this is centering on Har Moriah, that place where the temple was built. 70 years later on that same site, on Har Moriah, on Mount Moriah, the Jewish exiles who, had ret who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, they began a building project. Have you ever been part of a building project? Every one of us should raise our hand because we are part of God's building project. He's doing something in our lives. He's part of, we're part of that. He's building up his ecclesia, his congregation there. But they came back. They began building a new temple. And then later they finished their work after they, they lulled and uh, God sent Haggai to them to spur them on to get back to work. Have you ever needed a little prodding to get back on course? Well, he sent his prophets to get them back on course. And then finally, in the first century, King Herod came and he significantly added on to that original temple that they had built after the exile. He added on to it. And by the way, he did a great job, apparently, because the apostles in Matthew 24, they said, Lord, look at this. Have you ever seen such a building as this? And I'm glad they said that to him. And I'm paraphrasing. But I'm glad they said that to him because he says, you know what? Not one of the stones will be left on the other. And he begins to tell them in Matthew 24, the parallel passage of Mark 13 and Luke 21, what would happen at the end of time. I'm so glad that they brought up the temple to him. And he responded with the way that he did. Some of the very settings of Yeshua's debates some of his greatest teachings, some of his great deeds all happened there on Mount Moriah. That same spot that Abraham, right near where Abraham had brought his son Yitzhak. And as Herod built this beautiful temple, and Yeshua prophesied that not one stone would be left on another, that's surely what happened. In 70 CE, 70 AD, the Roman armies under Titus they laid siege across from there, from the Mount Moriah. They laid siege, and they 
took siege and they finally captured Jerusalem in 70. And the Jewish people that began a scattering that has brought many of us far away from the homeland. Today, all that remains above ground of Herod's temple, the only thing that remains is a portion of the retaining wall. We know it as the Kotel Hamaravi, the Western Wall. Some people call it the Wailing Wall. How many have heard of the Wailing Wall? <laughs> How many had heard of the Western Wall? <laughs> All right, good. Especially those in Israel, that was probably very much explained to them. Now, get this, though. So there was one temple built under Solomon, a second one built by the exiles afterwards and added onto by Herod. But the Bible indicates a third temple. A third temple's coming. And it will be built on or near the very same site there in Jerusalem. It has to be on Har Moriah, likely on Mount Moriah. There was a very well-known Jewish historian and Talmudist who studied the, the Hebrew writings, the rabbinical writings, and the biblical writings, and he came up with the conclusion, he came up with the conclusion that it would be possible to have a temple on Mount Moriah now that doesn't interfere with the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque. I don't know if I like that idea. <laughs> but that's what he concluded. He was, he was a Hebrew scholar, and, he, and studying this, said, now, if, if, my, if my understanding is correct, then the temple could be built right here without even interfering with those things. I don't know if that's what God has in mind, do you? <laughs> you know... I'm confident that despite the political unrest that's happening in Eretz Israel, the religious unrest that's happening, the societal obstacles that persist today in Jerusalem, I'm confident that God's will shall prevail and prevail mightily. It's going to prevail. And Yeshua's going to return. It says his feet are going to touch where? On Harazetim, on the Mount of Olives. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This was at the point of Yeshua's ascension. This same Yeshua who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And the Mount of Olives, those of you who have been there, it's a great place. It's much more crowded than it used to be. The Mount of Olives directly overlooks one of the gates of the old city, of the walls. It's called the Golden Gate, and I'm not talking about San Francisco. <laughs> it directly overlooks the Golden Gate, and I had the privilege many years ago of, of sneaking my way up to that gate from the outside, and I tried to sneak in from the inside, but that was a little more difficult task. But that Golden Gate of the old city of Jerusalem, that Golden Gate, if it was to open up, it's been sealed, almost hermetically sealed, it's been sealed by Muslim ruler to, to stop any entrance in there. But if that gate could open up, you know where it enters up to, enters into? Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, the place of the temples there. And the New Covenant speaks much about Yeshua's return to Jerusalem. 
And many people now are investigating and studying and looking at, when will Yeshua return? And probably some of us here have wondered, when will he return? I know this, he will return. And I know this, that each day it's closer that he will return. In fact, each moment it's closer when he will return. But it speaks that much is about to take place. Jerusalem's going to continue to be a focal point. Mount Moriah's right there in the old city. And we can understand why the enemy of our souls, why he battles against the Jewish people, why he's so against believers in Yeshua the Messiah. Because we stand with the word of God and we want to see all God's word fulfilled. And the end of the book tells us that Yeshua is the king and he's victorious. And guess who's defeated? (laughs) The enemy of our soul. (laughs) So let me conclude here today by sharing some scriptures with you. Several passages from the Brit Hadashah from the New Covenant that refer to Yeshua's return. After all, this is the, the Yom Teruah. It's the, it's the day of the blowing of the shofar. And the New Covenant, as we explored last night, as we will see in a few moments, the New Covenant speaks much about the final trumpet blast, the final shofar blast. Here are some of the passages just for you to to meditate on, to think about. There are many of them. I had to to pare them down to just a few to share with you. And each of these will be coming from the complete Jewish Bible version because Dr. Stern uses shofar instead of trumpet, which I appreciate. In Matthew 24, verse 30 and verse 31, Yeshua warned, he said, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky... All the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory. In verse 31, notice this, please. He will send out his malachim, his angels, with a great shofar, and they will gather together his chosen people from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says this, Because you yourselves well know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Yeshua used that very same term as he spoke about his return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from one of the ruling angels, and with God's shofar, think about that, God's shofar, those who died united with Messiah will be the first to rise. Or how about this exhortation connected to this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 4. Rob Paul the apostle writes, says, but you brothers are not in the dark so that the day should take you by surprise like a thief. For you are all people who belong to the light, who belong to the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. Did you hear that? We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So let's not be asleep <laughs> like the rest are. On the contrary, let us stay alert and sober. People who sleep, sleep at night, and people who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us stay sober, putting on trust and love as a breastplate and the hope of being delivered as a helmet. 
Verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5 continues, For God has not intended that we should experience his fury. Can anyone say hallelujah for that one? (laughs) Thank you. For God has not intended that we should experience his fury, his wrath, but that we should gain deliverance through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. How do we gain deliverance? Through Yeshua the Messiah. There's no other way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then it describes him in verse 10, who died on our behalf so that whether we are alive or dead, we may live along with him, whether we are alive or dead. That means now if we're alive, and I think we all are here right now, we are to live with him. We are to abide with him. We are to follow him. He is our Lord and Savior. Therefore, verse 11, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says this, the book of Messianic Jews. So also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, it says this, he will appear a second time. Is Yeshua coming back? He's coming back. (laughs) He will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He already laid down his life and shed his blood for us, for you and me, for all who will willingly receive him as their personal Lord and Savior. He will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He will appear a second time to deliver those who are eagerly waiting for him. Is that you today? Are you eagerly waiting for the Lord? I pray so, because Revelation 22 says this, beginning with verse 12. The complete Jewish Bible says, pay attention, (laughs) says Yeshua. Pay attention. I am coming soon. I am coming soon, and my rewards are with me to give to each person according to what he has done. Do you think what you're doing now matters? Yes. You think being faithful now matters? Yes. Do you think obeying the Lord now matters? Yes, it does. I am coming soon and my rewards are with me to give to each person according to what he has done. I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the A and the Z, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And verse 14, may this apply to everyone hearing these words, how blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to eat from the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Friends here today, as I conclude, we have much to praise God for. Do you agree with that? We have much to praise God for. Sure, we have difficulties in life. It's part, Abraham had difficulties in life. You know, Yeshua had difficulties in life. The apostles had difficulties in life. The prophets had difficulties. And can I even mention just one three-letter name? Job. (laughs) But we have much to praise God about and much to praise him for. He provides for us. And if we'll let him, he'll guide our lives. If we allow him, he'll abide with us, and we can abide with him. And we call that spiritual fellowship, have fellowship with him and with one another. If we'll ask him, he'll help help us make right decisions so we don't always have to make bad decisions. He'll help us make right decisions in life when we call upon him. If we ask him, rather than relying on our own thinking, 
And you know, he comforts us. How many of you have received comfort from the Lord at one time in your life? I certainly have. I'm so thankful. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He comforts us, the parakletos. He comforts us with a heavenly consolation that goes well beyond the earthly realm here. And he does it as only he can do because he can touch us deep inside, the place that no one can see but him. He's our creator. He knows us intimately and intricately. And also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, his Holy Spirit also disciplines us. And have you ever received discipline from the Lord? <laughs> he disciplines us in accord with the Word so that we'll walk in the Word, so that it'll keep us humble because God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. May that be all of us this coming year that we walk, we do justice, love mercy, and we walk humbly with our God. But let us praise God for the most important thing of all, really, most important provision of all that's Yeshua our soon coming king let us praise God for sending his son and it's Yeshua who sends his spirit to those who obey him sends his spirit to those who obey him it says in Acts and God sent his son for you today and if you haven't don't have a personal relationship with our Lord this is your day what a day this is for you this is your day of Yeshua of salvation this is your time to call upon the Lord because whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. This is your day. And this is a transaction not with me or your neighbor. This is a transaction with the living God who bids you to come and know him. Come and fellowship with him. And I leave you with this passage that shows you that God in his word, the promises, what he's doing in our lives is really worthwhile. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is or he is light, and in him is no hoshech, darkness at all. Verse 6 of 1 Yohanan, 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And hallelujah for this next statement. And the blood of Messiah Yeshua's son cleanses us from all sin. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.